And whoever gets the remote control decides what you watch on TV. So sometimes on a Saturday night, for example, in our house, it really pains me because we're, we're kind of putting the kids to bed and I might be doing one bedtime, Jill's doing the other, and I get downstairs, get a wee snack, go in the front room and Jill's already in there and she's got the remote and it's pretty devastating. And I know I'm in for a good hour and a half of romantic comedy, um, which actually in the end always turns out to be much better than I think it's gonna be and I actually end up like loving the films usually. One example of that, was The Notebook, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's this film about uh, a story that's being told to an elderly lady. And this lady is called Ali, and she's got Alzheimer's. And the story's being told to her by her deeply devoted husband, Noah. And he's telling her this story, and it's over a few days, and he's hoping that by telling her this story, she's gonna remember their relationship and remember who he is and, and it'll kind of provoke this reaction and she'll just remember even for a short time and he'll get to be with her again. Now, there's parts of it aren't entirely wholesome but it's a, it's a, it's a very beautiful film actually in many ways and I am not ashamed to say that I cried like a baby at the end of it. <laughs> it's very, very sad, very sad. But one of the interesting things about the film is that uh, there's an idea really at the center of it about stories and about how people tell stories and why people tell stories. The focus in that film is uh, when he's telling the story is on particular events that can really evoke this memory. He's picking out things that have happened in their lives to really tell this story, to try and move her heart. And the same could be said actually for the book of Chronicles that we're reading at the minute in Immerse. This morning we're continuing in the Immersed Bible Study series and it's Immersed Chronicles and this is the final part of our series that we started, I think it was September 2021 when we began this. And we've read through all the scripture and we're end ending with Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah and, and Ruth and Daniel, I think. But we're reading Chronicles at the minute and when we find the chronicler recounting Israel's history, he has a purpose to why he's telling the story. He's got a specific reason so it's not just a repeat of what went before. There's a new purpose in mind. And the reason why he's writing it is because the, the people who have been in exile in Babylon have returned to Jerusalem. And he wants to remind them, or she or the author wants to remind them that they have an identity as God's chosen people, that they are deeply loved by a gracious God. And the author wants to create the reaction in the people that they will actually reestablish worship as the center of community life. See, things weren't going well for the remnant, remnant of uh, Israel back in Jerusalem. Oppression was kind of happening from the occupiers of that area and there was economic hardship going on and they weren't that popular with their neighbors who were kind of trying to oppose them at every cut and turn. And what it set in was kind of, could be described as like spiritual depression. They were just really down the dumps. And the author of Chronicles knows that they really need to get worship up and running. They need to build a temple. They need to get worship happening. They need to reconnect with God's heart and be revitalized. Now, there's kind of three layers to this story, and I'm desperately hoping this is going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, 
to kind of tr keep track of, of what we're saying here, um, I'm going to move up and down these steps. I saw Nigel do it once, and it worked really well, so I'm hoping it works well for me too. So basically, on this top step here, this represents us now, present day, church. And then if we go down with my handy notes, Nancy, Nigel can speak from memory, I can't. Um, down on step two here is the, the time of the chronicler um, with the post-exile Jews in Jerusalem and speaking to those guys. But he's telling a story, which is really the large portion of the book. There's not much mentioned about the chronicler's intent in writing the story, but the whole book's really about this story which took place way back before the exile. And it's a, the bit that we're looking at today is about Solomon and the temple and the dedication of the temple. And like the notebook, it's a, it's a fantastic story. There's loads of drama in it. And, you know, you kind of get sucked into the story and you forget, you know, that you're reading it for a purpose and you just kind of start going along with the story again. So hopefully by moving up and down these steps here, it'll help us keep track of what's going on. So the first temple had been built in Solomon's time. And we're down here on step one. And that's where the passage today has taken place. Solomon had built the temple. There'd been a big, massive uh, festival of dedication which had taken place for like 14 days with huge amounts of animal sacrifice and prayer and corporate worship going on to dedicate the temple. And Solomon, in the midst of that, prayed this big, long prayer, asking God to accept the temple, to be merciful to Israel. And uh, later, actually much later, years later, God appears to Solomon one night and says, I heard your prayer. So just if you're waiting on an answer to prayer today, the Lord hears, but it can take time. Sometimes it's right away, and sometimes it's wait. And Solomon had to wait. And some places say it was 13 years. But the Lord showed up one night and said, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. And God's response to Solomon in that moment is confirming his acceptance of the temple. It's saying that it was pleasing to God. And the reason is because it was in line with what God had set out in the law about how he should be worshipped. And he said that he would choose where he would be worshipped. And that was the law that was given to Moses. So the Lord had seen this and he had accepted and found this pleasing. This is one of the main points, actually, that the chronicler is trying to get, get across because he's not just saying to Israel at this time, you know, get together and start to pray and worship. He's saying to them, you need to rediscover the heritage of worship that you have. You need to go back to your roots and investigate and understand how has the Lord asked you to, to approach him as his chosen people. God continues then to speak to Solomon in verse 13. And he says to him, at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour the land or send plagues among you. But then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. It's a great promise for the people back then. 
God tells Solomon that his special possession, his people, if they pray and humble themselves and seek him, that he'll forgive their sins and restore their land. But right at the start of that sentence is the word if, and it's a pretty big if. If my people. God's promise to forgive sins and restore the land was conditional on the people humbling themselves and praying genuine repenting prayers. The list of consequences, as we heard in the reading, goes on from verse 19 to 22. If the people do fail to do that, they'll be uprooted, ejected from the land. The Lord will reject the temple. Now down here on step one, sadly, the people, including Solomon, didn't actually manage to repent in a meaningful, consistent way. And the people and Solomon in 586 BC, the temple was destroyed and they were taken off in exile to Babylon. The people here on step two, having returned from that exile 70 years later, so most of them wouldn't have been born, they might have been tiny children, going in the exile and coming back as very old people, but with life expectancy at that time, there was probably a generational break. People wouldn't have had a memory of what it was like to live in Israel before the exile. They're coming back, and they're understanding from what's being read and what, what, what is being spoken about and what is being written down here in this book that they have to rediscover this heart of worship and that they too need to humble themselves, they need to disengage from idolatry and worship the Lord the God of Israel, in the way that he asked to be worshipped. But unfortunately, they, they don't manage it either. And so in 70 AD, the people that lived by the second temple that was rebuilt when the people came back from exile also get carried off into exile. Well, the, 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 the temple's actually destroyed by Rome at that time. But all hope was not gone for the people of Israel, for God's people, because God had said in verse 16, right down there on step one, right before the exile, speaking to Solomon, he said, I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. That's what the NIV version says. It's actually very rare in scripture to have any uh, concept of God's heart being mentioned. It doesn't get mentioned that many times in the Old Testament. And in fact, when it is mentioned, it's talked about his heart being wounded and, and hurt about the, the, the turning away of his people. But here he's saying that his heart will be in the temple. And then perhaps more importantly, he goes on and he says, for I made this covenant with your father David when I said, one of your descendants will always rule over Israel. That's a promise. And this time, there's no if. It's not conditional. The thing about the temple was that all the ceremony and the sacrifice and the prayer and the ritual and the worship was designed to do one thing. It was designed to connect God's heart to the hearts of those people that he had called and that he loved. Those people that had been separated from him by sin, that he yearned to draw back in the close relationship with him, to bring him back alongside himself and to draw close to them. This morning, we'll take communion together and we'll say, 
words together to God as the people of God, we'll say, in Christ you shared our life, that we might live in him and he in us. And he opened up wide his arms upon the cross, and with a love stronger than death, he made the perfect sacrifice for sin. When Jesus lived on the earth as a child of Israel, he did everything that the, that the Father wanted him to do. He, he sought God's face. He lived humbly, even though he had every reason not to be. He didn't sin, so he didn't need to turn from his wicked ways. He was the model child of Israel. A spotless lamb, actually. And so whenever he lays down his life, it's the perfect sacrifice for sin. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, fully uniting God's heart to his people. John the Baptist says about him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he lays his life down, but when God raises him again on the third day, the curtain of the temple is torn open. And Christ became the temple, that place where those hearts unite for all that come to faith in Jesus. If you haven't come to faith in Jesus, just know today that God has made a way for you to be completely restored into that relationship, that you don't need to be separated from him, that all you need to do is come to the person of Jesus. You meet him in scripture. You can talk to somebody about him here, and you can ask him to come into your life and to take ownership and take control. And, and actually, that means you don't have to make the big decisions anymore. You can rest and he takes over. And in that moment, you're united to God again. And in that moment, you're filled with his love as well, and, and, and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And God promises, he makes promises about what that's like. And he says here in 2 Chronicles 7, he says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer that's made in this place, in the temple. And if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God hears the prayers. Like we said, you might have to wait, but he hears. So what does that mean for us up here on, on, on our top level, level three in today's world, living in the light of revelation of Jesus Christ and him being God's son who secured our eternal life for all who receive him? Is there anything that we can kind of bring up these steps and use today to help us in our walk with the Lord? Should we repent and humble ourselves and pray and seek God's presence or has that all been done for us? As I was reading scripture this week and preparing for this talk and this message, I was praying and just asking God to say, give, give me something. If you want to communicate a message, tell me what it is and, and, and help me to say it. And over the days and reading this passage and thinking these things through, I believe he did communicate to me. And it, it was very simple and basic. And I, I don't know if this lands for anybody, but the words were rekindle and renew. And it's sort of this idea that often in the Christian life, we can find ourselves in patterns doing the same thing over and over again. And maybe we're too busy to realize it, but there's stillness. And there's a sense that a fire that might have been there can be dampened down. But reading this passage and thinking about the Lord's 
desire to have his people come to him in faithful worship and to repent and to seek his face. I believe he's just saying to us, you know, come to me and I will rekindle you. I'll do the work. Just come. Come and meet with me and I'll rekindle you and I will renew you. Perhaps for you today, you know, you might feel a bit like the people of Judah and you're emerging from an exile. Something that you've been going through. Maybe you're still going through it. Or you've returned to a place that you thought was going to be full of blessing or you've entered a place that you hoped was going to be full of blessing and it turns out to just be really, really difficult. Way, way less than you expected it to be. Or perhaps you thought that something was meant to come to you. For some reason it didn't come and you're still waiting on it. And there's a sense of disorientation and lostness and you're wondering, where's God? What's he doing? If that's you this morning, I want to give you this message. God is able to renew you and rekindle you in the midst of worship and prayer. Now, for many of us, that's not always easy. It's easier said than done. Go in the quiet place, spend time alone with God, set up a a rhythm and a routine. And Nigel's mentioned pathway too, and there's going to be great advice and really practical tools about how you can deepen your time with the Lord in that, and I'd really recommend you go along to it because life is busy, and everybody that I meet their heads are buzzing with commitments, messages, communications, responsibilities. It is off the scale for most people, mums especially, but everybody else as well. And I get it, you know, life is busy, but the problem is that if we don't work at this and we'll let ourselves be driven along by a tidal wave of commitments, the color just begins to drain out of our world. And we find that everything lacks joy. So what are we going to do about it? Well, I think we can lift some things from this passage that can help us. So the first thing the Lord says is humble yourself. And maybe this is a message for somebody today, humble yourself. And that can be difficult to hear. Yeah, I've always thought about it as being a really stinging remark. If somebody said that to you, it's like, fair play. You know, maybe I was getting a bit extra. (laughs) Humble yourself. But actually, when I looked into it, this phrase has a a kind of an image uh, and a sense to it in the Hebrew that um, it's almost the image of an eagle uh, with its wings outstretched and it coming in and, and, and perching. And, and folding its wings. And if you've ever seen that happen on, on the TV, because I thought about it when I read it, you know, it kind of swoops in and there's bluster and there's flapping of wings to sit down and then it sits down and then the wings fold and there's a moment of peace and rest. So in our, in our context, maybe the Lord's word to us is to come to him, to be humble enough to say, actually, you might have the answer and to receive his rest. So that might be the first thing. Humbling is a release from pressure to live up 
one of the problems I've had then whenever I kind of go to the Lord, humble myself, go before him and say, help, is that I go into that place and I find that there's, there's gnawing distractions. I've got the phone in there, maybe listening to some music. I've got emails to look at. I've got messages, all sorts of things that want to distract me. It wasn't always like that, but a lot of times I find that that was a problem. And I just want to highlight something to you if you have found it a struggle when you go into the, the quiet place to meet with the Lord, that there is a, a Church of Ireland worship app. Many of you may have it. I only discovered it a while ago. But you've got four opportunities in there every day for a worship resource, which is laid out like liturgy to say, readings to read, prayers to play, pray, prompts for prayer, um, thanksgiving, praise, intercession. There's all sorts of stuff in that, which is a really healthy diet of nourishment. And, and I said this to somebody the other night, you know, whenever I don't know how I'm gonna go and sit in that place, this has given me a way to go and sit down at the table and eat and be filled up. You know, I don't always feel like going to sit at the table and have my dinner at home. <laughs> you might be doing something else, but actually you need to go and you need to eat and you need to be filled. And there's an element to this which is about doing the work and, and going there and lifting, lifting the resources and engaging with them and allowing God to fill you. And the good news about it is that even if it feels awkward and it feels pointless, it can feel like that, that you're not on your own in there. You are not on your own in there. The book of Chronicles has been called an extended parable of seeking God as a way of life. That we would make him and turn to him and make him our first response that we turn away from the things that harm us and speak to him and spend time with him and read his word and in that, be rekindled and renewed. Years ago, before I was a Christian, I started to read the Bible. I just found I had this like, desire to read the Bible. I was living in a flat in Belfast and um, like, it would have been the weirdest thing that people I've lived with had found out. I think I hid it because like, I was worried that people that I live with would have found out. But anyway, I found that I had a Bible. I, went, I wanted to look for a Bible, and I thought, I think I have one, maybe from being in the BB or something, and I, and I went and found it, and I started reading um, from, from cover to cover, so, and I got through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and I got as far as Chronicles, and uh, I remember just stopping and going, I can't do this, because I'd already read the story before, and I was reading it again. I was like flicking forward, going, I've read all this, you know, and I, and I kind of put it down and, and stopped it anyway, but um, somehow through those times that I was spending reading, the weeks and, and maybe months that got me up as far as Chronicles, I had this sense that, that God was giving me this picture of you know, him being big and massive and, and standing beside me and, and basically just saying, you just, you just be still and sort of know who I am and just be still. And I, and I started sort of saying that to people. I was like, I think, I believe in God, you know, and... and uh, I think he's good and, and he was, he's, you know, I, th I think he's been telling me just to be still, just to be still and know, you know, who he is. And uh, then whenever I came to hear, actually, I remember somebody saying, what's your favorite Bible verse? And I was like, I think it's be still and know that I'm God. And then I was looking for it after, you know, maybe again a time later. And I went to look in the Bible and I realized that be still and know that I am God doesn't come until after Chronicles. 
So I, I hadn't read it, but somehow or another, in what I'd read, I believe strongly the Lord was communicating to me an image to be still, to sit with him, and to let him do the work. And so what I'm trying to say to you is that when you go into that place, if you take the time, if you make time for him, and you go into the place and spend time with him, even whatever way it feels for you, he's there and he's at work and he will rekindle your fire and he will renew you. Jesus said, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So whatever it looks like for you, whether it's around the kitchen table with your kids or in the car or on the park bench, wherever it is, make time for the Lord. I want to just encourage you to fold your wings and be at peace and let him rekindle you and renew you. And maybe together, he'll kindle a great fire here. A great fire of renewal for this city and write a whole new story, a whole new story for the generations to come for the glory of his name. Amen. Johnny, thank you. Let's stand together. Lord, I just want to say you're a good, good father. We thank you that you're here. And Lord, as we worship you, we pray, Lord, that you would rekindle us. You would refresh us and renew us. In Jesus' name, amen.